Welcome to Dementia Dialogue and our interview with Carol and Brian Johansson and Dr. Laura Middleton of the University of Waterloo. Carol is the principal knowledge user and Laura the principal investigator on a research project, Dementia Inclusive Choices for Exercise. Let's listen in on our interview. I'd like to thank you very much for joining the uh, our conversation about the Dementia Inclusive Choices and Exercise Project. Carol, you were just talking just as we were starting about your family, and I'm wondering if you might just you know, let us know about the number of children you've got, grandchildren, and a little bit about your family. Well, we have four children and three sons and a daughter, last child, and seven grandchildren and two greats. Carol, I'm wondering if you might um, describe to our listeners a little bit about your uh, diagnosis. And also, one of the um, things that intrigued me was your um, participation in the Tai Chi program. Well, I think it was just assumed automatically that I had Alzheimer's because for mm -hmm. some reason it was agreed that my mother had Alzheimer's and my grandmother did and my great-grandmother. I guess the background is because I expected it because it's now I was the fourth generation of people who had had this problem. And we went to St. Mary's Hospital and the doctor promptly diagnosed me as having Alzheimer's, so I believed him. And since then I found other people. I know one person in particular who got the same diagnosis, who also does not have it. It's just, uh, in my case, they came to the conclusion that it was vascular dementia. In your own personal life, uh, Carol, you know, what kind of change would you say you're experiencing as a result of cognitive decline? Um, the biggest thing of all was not having a driver's license anymore. Mm -hmm because I was very independent and suddenly now everywhere I go, somebody has to drive me. And that was the hardest part. Brian, I'm wondering from your perspective and maybe the perspective of your, you can't speak on behalf of your sons and your daughter, but you know, from your own perspective and from the you know, family vantage point, how have you kind of experienced changes in Carol's life and her ability? Well, because of Carol's mother, I knew what to look for. And all dimensions are different, but still I noticed enough of the symptoms were the same that I realized what was happening. And we just sat by and watched the uh, whole thing unfold. Sometimes I feel like King Canute. I can sit in the tide, but I cannot stop it. The whole thing keeps rising around me. Very slowly, thank goodness. When you moved to Waterloo, I understand that you took advantage of some uh, Tai Chi program that was fairly close to you, I think, maybe even across the street. I wonder if you might describe a little bit of your experience there and and how you came to get involved in that uh, program. So I went across the street to the community center and said, you know, I'm looking for something to do. And they told me all the things that I could do. And I thought, I think that sounds interesting. So I got in the beginner's class, and that was a good 20 years ago. And I've been doing it up until I broke my hip at the beginning of COVID. I was active. 
and in various ways. Were you, um, like in your earlier life, in your middle years or younger years, were you like a an active person? Yeah, I walked a lot. I We lived on a sort of a big circle where you didn't have to cross any streets. There was woods in between and houses all around. And I walked with one of my neighbors practically every morning. Sometimes I walked at lunchtime and sometimes I walked again before the kids came home from school. I walked a lot. I'm wondering, Laura, if you might describe some of the main components of the project. And I'm especially interested in the idea of inclusivity and how that particular terminology ends up in your the title of your project. So it's obviously a main component of the uh, overall activity. Absolutely. Um, the DICE project or the Dementia Inclusive Choices for Exercise project has the aim of improving access to physical activity programs and supports amongst people living with dementia. And early on, we realized that you couldn't do this just by dementia-specific programs because people have all sorts of different abilities. They have all sorts of different interests, and we don't want to restrict them to a single program, even if that program is fantastic. You know, programs like Minds in Motion that we've all worked on or participated in. So the goal was to make the physical activity centers and programs that are in the people's communities and make them inclusive of people living with dementia so that you don't have to go to the one specialized program. You can access the one that's just down the block. You know, the community center, as Carol was talking about, across the street from her building. We want people to be able to access all of those. So, yeah. So when you, when you say you want to make them inclusive, what are some of the uh, elements that you're driving to try and increase that inclusivity? So the early phase of the project was really understanding um, what were the barriers from the, the perspective of people living with dementia and their family care partners, uh, but also from the perspectives of people providing programs, so exercise providers or exercise professionals. So we did focus groups amongst them. And what we found out is that people don't know anything about dementia. You know, they've kind of figured it out or they have a family member or they've encountered one or two people in, you know, their work. And sometimes that's the emergency room where, you know, people are upset. And so their whole idea of dementia is from that lens, from that one experience. So we knew that if they were going to be inclusive, we had to give them a more holistic understanding of what dementia was. You know, the breadth of the symptoms that people might experience, help them understand that you know, dementia can actually be quite mild where you might not notice it if you're interacting with someone casually to you know have more severe symptoms as well. So often people have this more kind of single view of what dementia is, which is often later in the dementia journey. And we wanted to help them understand that no, dementia is this huge spectrum of people who have the same experiences as you and I, who have families and friends and activities that they enjoy. Um, so part of you know, supporting inclusivity was giving them you know, the whole picture of what dementia can be. 
We also have, you know, a, a second part that's really talking about the rights of people living with dementia to inclusion. You know, that this isn't just, you know, a nice to do, but something they really should be doing just in the same way that they think about including people of different physical abilities, they should be thinking about including people of different cognitive abilities. You know, that inclusivity has to be considered all aspects of every person's ability and their experiences. And then we also have, you know, general tips on how you can do that. And we say in parts of it that you know, some of the things that you do to be inclusive of people living with dementia are also things that would help include all sorts of different people. You know, it's the way you place signs in a facility. It's the way you speak and communicate. A lot of the recommendations are, are good communication for everyone, you know, getting one idea at a time, introducing yourself clearly, you know, reinforcing points if needed, thinking about your environment, the, the noise levels, you know, what clutter there is, thinking about the placement of mirrors, that can sometimes be confusing. Um, so those are the elements, you know, understanding dementia, understanding the rights of people living with dementia. And finally, you know, some suggestions of how you can be inclusive. And, and, and part of that, I, I've talked about general approaches, but part of that that we emphasize as being, you know, centered on the person and their abilities and preferences, because as we know, every person living with dementia has a different experience and slightly different um, symptoms too. So it's recognizing what that individual needs to be included. And sometimes it can be really subtle changes. A couple of questions come to mind. The first is around receptivity. You mentioned the focus groups and then this kind of, you know, findings from that. How receptive did you find exercise providers to, you know, the overall project or to the idea of inclusivity? Was there resistance or were they mostly keen once they kind of understood? The... Now, the, the people we had involved were generally quite keen. And I think, you know, one, of course, the people who participate in research around exercise and dementia are probably going to be more keen than the average person. You know, we don't have, it's a biased group, of course. Um, but I think they were also people that understood, they were all people who were delivering exercise to a broadly defined older adults group, at least as part of their practice. And they all understood that they had people coming in that had some sort of memory impairment or changes in attention, whether they knew they had a diagnosis or not. So they were making adjustments, but they were doing it by just figuring it out as they went. So they were trying to accommodate people, but they didn't have any, you know, background training or education to put position them well to do that. So they just had to figure it out on their own. So they were keen to have something that would actually give them the background knowledge to make good decisions and, and not being trying to wing it. Okay. You sort of answered my second question a bit is it was around distinguishing dementia and normal aging. Because I think sometimes when we're advocating for dementia, we've also got the hurdle of normal aging to deal with, plus then dementia. But in this case, your, your group of exercise providers were experienced in 
supporting older people in exercise. Yes. And I, I should say, you know, we require that at least as part of their practice, they work with older adults. But we had people anywhere from people delivering exercises, personal trainers in, you know, private exercise facilities to people in day programs, to people, you know, at the YMCA, which has one of their aims is inclusion. So we did have a broad range of people in these different places where the focus on including older adults may be greater or less and whose environment might be more or less inclusive as well. recognizing that each person is going to need different supports. And so that the, you know, any of the tips that we provide is really a menu of options that you will use depending on the person and not all of these will apply. Um, and then some kind of core principles around, you know, optimizing communication, um, paying attention, maybe a little bit more closely to understand how they're doing that day and what they need encouragement and, and, and getting people to challenge themselves still, um, as well as just being adaptable day to day. But we know that, and you know, Carol's talked about this as well, um, that the encouragement and the, the support and the, you know, helping them to still improve and engage is you know, one of the things that people value most actually from exercise providers. Carol, when, uh... Laura said the word encouragement. You gestured uh, you know, to reinforce that point. I wonder if you might you know, speak a little bit about what you see as the value of encouragement uh, in helping people with dementia participate in exercise programs. I have a really short example of one that worked. In my whole life, I had never done a push-up, but Laura's colleagues, Kayla, was one of the people that helped me when I took the exercise uh, classes. She was one of the people standing, cheering me on when I did my first and only push-up I've ever done in my whole life. She just kept at me <laughs> until I got it done. When we think of exercise and dementia, you know, when those two words appear on most screens, then it's mostly in terms of exercise as a prevention in terms of dementia. So it's aimed at 45-year-olds or 55-year-olds and, you know, as a way of preventing dementia. But here we're talking about exercise as a way of helping a person who's already diagnosed live a better life. How do you find exercise has helped you, uh, you know, with your quality of life after your diagnosis? What are the benefits that you derive from it? That's where practically all my friends are at exercise things. And so it's, it's helped me to keep in touch with them by doing as much as I can. And it's the mental stimulation of being there, concentrating and doing things with your friends. I'm fairly certain that a lot of people, once they get the uh, diagnosis, uh, figure, well, this is the end of everything. Mm -hmm. And I think some doctors maybe even encourage that. 
And it all depends on the care partner. If the care partner doesn't care, then the whole thing comes apart. I'm wondering, Laura, if you might be able to describe uh, some of those competencies that you think are important for a per an exercise provider to, to uh, possess as they approach their job. I would say that someone who is going to be supportive of people living with dementia is probably a good exercise provider broadly. And the characteristics that make someone good in this context are the same characteristics, right? It means that they look at the person and try to understand their abilities their goals or priorities, uh, their preferences, regardless of whether they're living with dementia or not, um, that you know, there's someone who's going to pay attention and be adaptable to how the person is feeling day to day. You know, they may be feeling less energetic. They may be feeling frustrated. And that's the same for anyone right? Anyone can feel frustrated based on, you know, things that got in their way, getting ready or difficulty finding a parking spot. And that's just going to change how they feel going into any given exercise session, whether again, whether they're living with dementia or not, the encouragement is really key, you know, that it's not about the instructor, but about enabling the person, again, whether they're living with dementia or not, to succeed in the things that are important to them and to structure the program in a way that they can be successful. You know, again, taking it into account their preferences and, and goals. And then, you know, just always being adaptable. I, I think the communication is probably the, the more, most learned skill that can help in inclusion. Um, especially for people who have more, more language challenges with language, you know, learning to, and it's something, as I've said before, that I am still working on trying to communicate, you know, one message at a time, um, reinforcing, breaking down things into their parts where needed, you know, learning ways to use nonverbal communication as well, both you know, in listening and watching for signs, as well as using that to communicate messages are, are things that can be learned, but that are, you know, are, are things that are going to help include people of various abilities, including people living with dementia. Um, but I think important starting point is someone who is open and pays attention to the people they're working with and adapts based on, on their needs and preferences. And a, a good exercise professional will do that regardless of who, who they're working with. But maybe even more important here where we know that, you know, your needs and abilities may change day to day and, and certainly over time. And so recognizing that the supports that you may give might have to change and be adaptable at the same time. I think one of the things that resonates as well is recognizing that controlling the environment can also help inclusion you know the level of music and noise you know how the signs are arranged you know the the flooring even you know that can help support inclusion and that's one thing that people often don't realize is that 
you can alter, you know, the level of the music, the type of music that's played, for example, and to support inclusion. And they often don't. I think because the sensory changes and perceptual changes in dementia often aren't well known, people don't often don't realize that how the environment is set up will really change the ability of a person living with dementia to participate. And I think part of feeling safe too is the exercise provider paying attention to them. The person living with dementia, knowing that if they're doing something wrong or they're not able to monitor themselves, that there's another person there that's going to see that and help them and correct them is a big part of feeling safe. Carol, you might be able to, or Brian, either of you, describe uh, from your understanding, your point of view, how you think people with lived experience might have contributed to how the project unfolded. Well, I think the occasionally from time to time we introduce a note of reality to some of the decisions because the, most of the people who are actually doing this thing project probably aren't as familiar with uh, dementia as we are. So from time to time, there may be some conflicting ideas we like to uh, mention in the project. Keep it on the rails, so to speak. Carol, do you have any thoughts uh, along that line about what you or your fellow uh, lay people might contribute to the project? Basically, I think the same thing. Unless people actually live with it, or in Brian's case, live with it, you don't really know. Laura, from your point of view as a researcher, what do you see as the important uh, contribution that folks like Carol and Brian have to uh, influencing the way you do your work and the goals of the project? I mean, I think their contributions have been invaluable. As they say, they keep it grounded in what is important to people living with dementia. I think, you know, you've talked some about the benefits uh, of exercise and what we see in clinical trials is exactly some of the things you've probed, like functional abilities, we know those improve. And even, you know, care partner, the stress that care partners feel improve. And in a number of studies, we see improvements in cognition or balance or, or mobility. But in talking to people, we know that really what's important is that social element, right? And the connection with others and the encouragement and ability to succeed in things like that, that's what's important. And I think that is also what highlights that inclusion is important as opposed to just, you know, a structured exercise program. Because if it was just the exercise that was important, then maybe we could develop a home-based exercise and you could get that physical movement, but inclusion and social engagement is the thing that people talk about most when you talk to them about their experiences in these exercise programs. And so it leads to prioritization of that. And I think, you know, I remember a number of different experiences that, that Carol and then Bill Highbein have brought up along the way, you know, certainly the importance of paying attention, you know, that in terms of feeling safe and feeling like they're going to improve was one of the things. Carol 
highlighted in, in, from her experiences that we need access to a wide variety of abilities. You know, that some of the dementia specific programs weren't inclusive of all people living with dementia because by nature, they had to include people of all abilities. But if you're healthier and more active, it's not necessarily going to work um, as well for you. So those, those aspects were things that certainly came out from their guidance. Um, you know, something even around sensory changes, that's still not well-developed in literature, especially post-diagnosis. There's, again, more attention to hearing playing a role as a risk factor for dementia. Carol, I'm wondering if you have any you know, key messages or thoughts that you would like to, people to take away from our discussion. I think basically you're still you and you still have a lot of abilities and don't let people think that you can't do anything anymore. Mm -hmm. And Brian, your thoughts? I have several points. One, first of all, you must maintain a sense of humor about the situation. You can make jokes about the situation, but you cannot make jokes about the suffering for the person who has the dementia. That keeps the whole thing fairly light and bearable. Um, you also must have a vast amount of patience because there's no point getting angry because tomorrow will be another day and you'll be back exactly where you were today and nothing will have come of it. The third thing is the caregiver must always remember that they are supposed to be the adult in the situation. And the last and most important one of all is don't go down with the ship. Don't get so emotionally involved that you are no longer able to control the situation. That's probably the hardest one of all. I'm afraid that'll have to do. I would echo Carol and Brian's messages as, as most important. I, I think you know, for people living with dementia, I'd say, you know, don't be afraid to share your diagnosis and ask for help because you have a right to be supported. Um, and it can be scary, but doing so sometimes has positive effects. And to exercise providers, let go of preconceptions that they have with dementia and that a person living with dementia, if you treat them just like you would any other participant in your program, you know, the same techniques will apply. Pay attention, recognize them as individuals and the supports they might need and, and, and you know, help them towards their goals in, in ways they prefer. It, it's not, we think that there might be a completely different way of doing things, but it's really the same principles that you've, you'd have for working with any participant in the program. They're a person with experiences and abilities just like your other clients or participants. Well, I just want to uh, thank you very much again. It was a delightful uh, conversation. The DICE project has created some excellent resources and learning aids for both exercise providers and the public, including a home-based exercise program for people living with dementia. You can access these resources at www DementiaExercise.com. September is World Alzheimer's Month. This year's theme is diagnosis, an issue that is discussed in many of our episodes, especially in our series, System Transition. You might want to listen to some of those episodes if you have not already heard them. Thank you for listening. 
We would like to hear from you. Write to us at dementia.dialogue at lakeheadu.ca. Give us your suggestions for future episodes and tell us why you like listening to Dementia Dialogue. Thanks to our partners, the Centre for Education and Research on Aging and Health at Lakehead University and the Public Health Agency of Canada. My name is David Harvey.